0: When we don't talk to our our children, our family members, and let them know what's going on, then it leaves them at a disadvantage. And then being me being left at a disadvantage because I don't know when I turn 40 what I need to be getting checked for. You see what Mm -hmm. I'm saying?
1: Beyond Ourselves is a podcast where I, Taylor Camille, share stories by those living a life fully and beyond any stigma or perceived limitations a health condition may have on their day-to-day lives. For Season 2 of this series, we're highlighting stories from Black men, the stigmas around caring for their health and bodies beyond fitness, and examining masculinity. As always, please share and subscribe if you haven't already. Today we are speaking with Timothy Mitchell about his experience with colon cancer. Obviously, this topic was top of mind after the August passing of Chadwick Boseman and the subsequent statistics that permeated the news cycle not long after. According to the American Cancer Society, Black colorectal cancer patients are about 15 to 20 percent more likely to die from the disease than patients of any other race. Not only do black Americans have the shortest survival rate of any racial or ethnic group in the United States for most cancers, but they also have the highest incidence of colorectal cancer. Nearly 20,000 new cases of colorectal cancer were expected in the United States amongst Black Americans in 2019, with rates 24% higher in Black men and 19% higher in Black women compared to other races. I came across Timothy's story in Men's Health, and I think the story ran around the same month that we lost Chadwick. Timothy's story is one of many, and of many that aren't with us any longer. It's truly remarkable what he overcame, and I hope you enjoy. Here's Timothy.
0: My name is Timothy Mitchell. I am 47 years old, married three sons. They're all grown, 31, 24, and 19. I work in the transportation department for the film and movie industry, and prior to that, I owned my own landscaping company for 12 years, which I later shut down once I found out that I had stage three colon cancer. I had surgery, which was a partial colectomy where they cut out the right side of my colon. And I did seven months of chemo, did 12 rounds of chemo, which took seven months. And that was in September 2016. So I am cancer free now and I'm an avid motorcycle rider. I ride daily, and my life pretty much consists of work, family, and riding my motorcycle. <laughs> to put it in a nutshell.
2: And where are you based?
0: I am based in Atlanta, Georgia.
2: Oh, wow. Nice. Yes. Um, so I wanted to ask, what was your relationship to your health You know, prior to your diagnosis? You kind of gave us a little... Synopsis there, but were you right. fairly proactive or were you the type to maybe shy away from medical attention? How would you describe your relationship?
0: I wouldn't say I shied away from it, but I wasn't someone who ran to the doctor or want to find out immediately if something was going on, if anything. And what I what I mean by that is if there was an issue or well, if, I, if I felt like I was having an issue with something which I got regular checkups but if I felt like I was having an issue with something up until I um had cancer I never really had, I never had any health problem health problems or health issues no diabetes no you know high blood pressure no high cholesterol anything like that I would say my 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 health bill was pretty much regular
2: yeah but in the in the article on mental health you mentioned like feeling sluggish and not being able to attribute it to just your weight. Um, right. What motivated you to seek more help or kind of get to the bottom of how tired or weary you were feeling?
0: The whole year of 2016, like I mentioned, I used to own a lawn care business. I got checkups on the regular. So in the beginning of 2016, I got a checkup you know, if, if nothing's wrong, they pretty much just send you a, a letter saying that, you know, your stuff checked out good or whatever. So all of that summer I just felt really tired all the time. Now I from time to time I saw uh blood in my stool, but I dismissed that. And the reason why I dismissed that is because my dad had uh, several forms of cancer before he before he passed and and I knew that cancer ran in the family. But getting back right. to the question that, that at hand, I I didn't, other than seeing some blood in my stool and being tired, I just felt like, you know, I didn't feel like anything was, was really wrong. I was thinking, because I'm a big guy and I was thinking, okay, well, maybe I just need to lose some weight or maybe it's just my eating because I was tired all the time. It was almost like, like the, I don't know how old you are, but it was almost like when cell phones uh, first came out and when they, when the batteries started to go bad, they would only charge like a certain percent before they would go like 20 or 30%. And then they were, would go back down. So that's what my body felt like on a regular basis.
2: Wow.
0: Like I would get out in the morning and after, first of all, I was leaving later and later in the morning to do my business but then after I would get out there only I would only be out about an hour or two before I was just like totally drained like I just felt like oh like what you know I didn't know what was going on
2: yeah so you had your primary doctor you were already going to checkups did you bring this to their attention or how did you go about finding you know the specialized doctor who would eventually diagnose you
0: I went through the whole summer like that. And then in in September, I found that I told my wife, I said, hey, something's not right. So I need to go to the uh, I need to go back to the doctor again because I was just really tired. So once I went to the doctor, he looked at my charts from March and he saw he saw that uh, my blood was actually like really low then back in March. So he said, I need to send you to get some blood work. So this was on a Thursday evening that he sent me to get blood work. So on Friday, on Friday morning at 6 a.m., the nurse was calling and she said, hey, don't go to work. Don't don't drive. Don't do anything. You need to get some blood from the uh, you need to go to the hospital and get some blood. So I ended up staying in the hospital for the weekend and I had to get uh, my hemoglobin was at a five, which a normal hemoglobin is at 13.5. Oh,
2: my gosh.
0: Right. So I was about to stroke out out there in that sun and didn't even know it. So they scheduled me for a colonoscopy the next couple of days. I did a colonoscopy. So they found a mass in, on the right side of my colon. And then they said, OK, we they're pretty sure it was cancer, but they say we need to do an MRI. So the next couple of days they did an MRI, which they confirmed it was cancer stage three. And the tumor was a little larger than a large lemon. And it was starting to protrude outside of my colon. So then the next week I was in surgery. So pretty much in like two weeks, I was I went from, from working every day to found out that I had colon cancer to surgery.
2: Oh, my goodness. Right. That quickly.
0: Yeah, that quick. Now, mind you, I was walking around every day. I just felt like, you know, I just felt I was just too big. I need to lose some weight. The only other thing besides me being just really tired a lot, my cravings, I, I used to, and this is going to sound really crazy. I used to eat like a bag of lemons weekly. What? Yeah. So like, like cut up the lemon, <laughs> like, like the the lemon peeling and everything. I would wash it off, cut it up and eat the whole thing. So that was attributed because I was highly anemic and I didn't know it. So mm-hmm. like, I don't know if you have uh, ever heard of like uh, a woman that's pregnant that is highly anemic. They, you know, they might, they might crave like ice a lot, or they might eat stuff that's not, has no nutritional value, but you know, mm-hmm. that's what they crave. Mm-hmm. So this was, this was my case. So I was eating, like I said, like a bag of lemons a week. And I just didn't. I was just thinking, you know, maybe my maybe my body wanted the salt because I was working a lot and sweating like out of my clothes like all the time. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's crazy. Right. <laughs> okay. There's so much that's coming to mind, but that's so crazy to think about.
0: Right. I'm trying to remember, you know, just certain things. And again, that was one of the, the lemons was one of the things. And I used to eat sunflower seeds a lot. I would keep like two or three bags of sunflower seeds in my truck, you know, because again, my body was just craving, just craving that salt and stuff like that. Now, this is the, this is the funny part. As soon as I had surgery, I didn't have a crave for lemons or sunflower seeds and really haven't eaten them since. My
2: oh my goodness.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it was that was that was that was pretty crazy, but
2: yeah. Well, what are some of the other symptoms? So basically, like fatigue, these strange cravings. I don't know if that's something everyone right. um, would have, but and then blood in your stool. What are some right. other things that you've been like, oh, that was a sign or? I, you know, I overlooked that. Or were those your main symptoms?
0: Honestly, that was, that was it for me, you know, mm-hmm. because and that's why colon cancer has been deemed a silent killer because it doesn't, doesn't give your body a lot of adverse effects mm-hmm. like, like some other sicknesses. So yeah. that's why, you know, early detection is key with colon cancer. You know, if you detect it early, you can possibly have surgery be done and keep it moving.
2: Yeah. I mean, but. That was interesting too because I feel like you mentioned your your dad and your granddad had right. colon cancer and it's like if this conversation could have happened between generations exactly. you would have even yeah you would have even been <laughs> better equipped to deal with it.
0: Exactly. Oh, one thing I did leave out. I have a genetic a syndrome. It's called Lynch syndrome. And Lynch syndrome is a, a genetic disorder order where I pretty much had the trait for cancer, you know, from my mom and my dad's makeup. Because my mom eventually died from breast cancer. She died early. She was in her fifties when she died. So again, my genetic makeup pretty much said that I was going to have cancer. These are things that I say: know your history, ask questions. You know, ask questions of your of your elders yeah, as far as like what's going on. Colon cancer is. Detectable, it's treatable, and it's beatable. Now, see, um, shameless plug. That's why me and my wife started the hashtag beat cancer then ride. Yeah. And on Facebook, we we vlogged every time that we we went to chemo. I told my wife on the first day, I said, I'm gonna beat this cancer and then and then I'm gonna ride my motorcycle. So that's where beat cancer then ride came from. And the reason why we decided we wanted to vlog is because as I talk to different people of different ethnicities, I'm finding that it was pretty much a generational thing, not necessarily a cultural thing. And when I say a generational thing, meaning the older people, they didn't necessarily, when something was going on with a family member, they didn't necessarily talk about it or say, because I've been to the doctor or been to the hospital, you know, a few times with my dad when when I was younger. And I never never really knew. I don't know if I didn't think to ask or or they just never said, you know, hey, you know, Susie or Uncle Joe has XYZ. And mm-hmm. a couple of times, you know, I've been with him, you know, his sisters and brothers, cuz my dad is from a very large family. And you know, but they again, they never talked about it and Uh, generationally, they never talked about it. It's almost that the situation where, you know, what goes in this house stays in this house with a lack of a better term, which is dumb. Because, and I say that, because when we don't talk to our our children, our family members and let them know what's going on, then it leaves them at a disadvantage. And then me being left at a disadvantage because I don't know when I turn 40 what I need to be getting checked for. You see what what I'm saying? saying? And which I think the generations today are a little better. I don't know if it's more open or what you would call it, but we just do a a better job at, you know, actually talking about things versus back in the day where they they just didn't talk about it. You know, the person would get sick, pass or whatever. It still was. It was almost like hush, hush, you know, as far as talking about it. So yeah. So that's why me and the wife decided, hey, we're going to we're going to talk about it. You know, we're going to vlog about it so people can actually see what goes on on the on a weekly basis when somebody is going through cancer or chemo.
2: Mhm. Yeah, I mean, what a stark difference from your upbringing, like one, you know, not even talking about it inside, you know, with family and now on the reverse is like broadcasting this wide to other people so that they have something to take away or something to, you know, guide them through what they might go- be going through. Because Yeah, we all, you know, it's, it's such a uncharted territory, I think, because there is this like, factor of hush. But I wanted to ask how, I mean, Yes, you were vlogging, but how did you talk about this with your with your boys? Because, I mean, you have three boys, right? And I'm thinking now that this has gone through, you know, you, your dad, his dad. I'm guessing,
0: right? right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, how did you how did you have this conversation with them?
0: Well, once they once they found out that I was sick uh, again, we're we're pretty open as far as as far as talking to them about it and. So they were pretty much in every step, you know, as far as okay, dad has to go to chemo. My youngest was still in high school, so it was for, you know, really almost two years. He was in the band. So I couldn't participate in a lot of his stuff because I was because I was sick. Yeah. You know, your immune system is is compromised when when you when you're going through something like that. But we talk about a lot of stuff all the time, it it came pretty easy to let them know, okay, this is what's going on. Daddy has cancer. Uh, we have to, you know, he has to do chemo. You know, hopefully this chemo is going to help, you know, just pray and just be there for him while he's going through this situation. Uh, and I guess I'm kind of talking, you know, third person or whatever, but, you know, we got to make sure that he's okay. And, you know, he's going to have a lot of times like where he's like really, really tired and stuff like that. So, I mean, they saw it. They saw it firsthand and they processed it, you know, how they processed it. You know, I mean, n- none of them really, really talked about it. They, they just, you know, just kind of watched what was going on. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's interesting. And then we saw, you know, these images of Chadwick and a lot of people either, were clowning him for losing so much weight or, right. you know, and not knowing what he was battling. I wanted to know chemo's effects on your body, if you also experienced weight loss, and then just what has it felt like with the spotlight being brought on colon cancer with the loss of Chadwick, you know, I don't know, just how does it feel yeah. being a survivor of this cancer?
0: Well, first of all, let me say this about Mr. Chadwick Boseman, that Mm -hmm. man was a true superhero. Yeah. And when I say he was a true superhero, because I know when I went through chemo, I had to do it for 47 hours a week. So basically I went in on Monday for uh, three, four hours of infusion. I left. I had a like a fanny pack and it was connected to the port in my chest. So I had I had chemo from Monday till Wednesday at noon. And then I would have to go back in. So on Monday I would be feeling okay, go to chemo. I would have to eat like immediately after because in a couple of hours I was just like totally drained. So I would have to get into bed. I would pretty much be in the bed all day Tuesday. Wednesday morning, I had to pretty much get up and go get disconnected. Wednesday afternoon, I was back tired, pretty much in the bed all day Thursday, Friday. By the next week, I started, and I did it every two weeks. By the next week, I started to get a little better. By the next Monday, it was time to do it all over again. I had to skip a couple rounds because when you're doing chemo, that it sometimes uses all of your white blood cells, which your white blood cells is your immune system. So what I had to do was take what's called neuprogen injections in my stomach. So basically I would do chemo for those three days and then for like the next three days, I have to take shots in my stomach in order to um, build up my white blood cells again in order to be ready to take chemo the next time. So- So by saying that, by him doing chemo, being an actor, I work in the, I work in the film industry, so I know what it is. I average mm-hmm. day, and you 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 said you know that you've done something as well, so you know the average day is twelve to fifteen hours. Yep. So for him to do that and perform the way that he performed, you know, which was amazing, and and still. Be able to do it, do what he was supposed to do, and not to mention his camp, how they just kept it, you know, under wraps. I mean, yeah. that, that speaks volumes about him. As far as like the people that were close to him, how he, you know, because and you know yourself, if you really care about something, whatever they got going on, you you keep it. So that just mm-hmm. shows me that that just shows me that the people in his camp were just like you know heroes as well. So I just really commend him, I'll say it again, you know, that guy was like a true superhero. And, you know, just to be on my face, to be like the interviews, because I, they did um, Good Morning America, Inside Edition, and then our local news, my face being a, alongside of his, you know, it was truly an honor for me. You know, very thankful that I was able to to make it through and that I'm still here. But to be side by side with somebody like that who was, you know, really a true hero because he was, he was selfless, you know, he was still doing his job. And, you know, he still found time to go, you know, visit others, you know, you see like different interviews or, you know, articles and stuff where he still found time to go be a blessing to others, which I believe is why we're here is to be able to be a blessing to others. And you, you spoke on my, my weight. Now my weight was totally different. The last three months of chemo, I gained about sixty-five pounds.
2: Oh my gosh!
0: Right, I was what <laughs> what we, 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 we can say I was swole <laughs> yeah. and, and not and not from and not from lifting weights. It was the, it was the steroids in my chemo. Oh, they you know chemo affects people in de- in different ways.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So some people like Chadwick they, they lose weight. Some people gain weight. And again, like when I first started chemo, you know, I asked the doctor, you know, am I going to be sick all the time? And he said, well, different people, bodies react differently. He said, he said, you're a big guy and you could, he said, it could put you down, you know, for a week, but it might be a little old lady. She may go to the mall and walk every day, you know, when she do her chemo. So, you know, it just depends on the person. Every time I went back to the doctor, you know, I will get on scale. I will be up like 12 pounds, you know, 10 pounds. I'm like, what in the world is going on? But, yeah, so that was – I did the exact opposite of what he did. Instead of getting smaller or, you know, a little frail, I got bigger.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. I also wanted to ask you about just when I think about representation in this, like, arena almost – I mean, there's just not many Black men talking about their health, period. But Sorry. I wanted to know when, if ever, you felt represented or seen.
0: I I feel like I really didn't... Well, first of all, you always hear people say, why Why are you talking about it now or representing it now? But in most cases, until you're actually affected with something, you don't necessarily... You don't necessarily promote it in a way yeah. that you would, until you know, unless you were affected by
2: it.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, once I found out that I had it, uh, I looked around and I didn't necessarily see me being represented. You know, people talking about it or or people really being open with it, because one thing, you know, you have men and then you have black men in general. You know, we just don't necessarily like to talk about health or we don't like to talk about something something wrong or you know something you know possibly being wrong you know with our with our bodies or whatever. So I just felt like I did not see a lot of a lot of representation, but I feel like no matter what you're going through, everybody has a story. It's just a matter of the time when you can tell your story because you never know, you know, who it can help. Now think about it. I had cancer in 2016. And the writer Kelly Glass reached out to me back in May, and we did it. We actually did the interview in June, I think it was. And she said that it was going to come out when it came out, which was what a week, week and a half before Chadwick Boseman died. So I feel like you know, there's a there's a there's a point, there's a time, you know, for everybody's story. And I, I I don't feel like that you necessarily have to rush it out all the time. Sometimes you just kind of, I mean, because your story is your story and you never know who you'll reach or, you know, who wants to see your story. You know, you just have to, you have to be mindful and you have to be sensitive to, you know, your conversations when you're talking to somebody because you never know when you can help somebody, you know, that may be going through the same thing you're going through or it may be ahead of them.
2: Yeah. Yep.
0: That's
2: real. That's really real. That, like, almost gives me chills to think about the timing of that. And, right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And because exactly. I often... It's crazy because I often look at... I've been looking at men's health and other men's publications in right. developing this. And that was, like, one of the first stories I saw that actually went, you know, or profiled someone actually going through something. I think a lot right. of the time men are fed and those types of publications are fed things that are like about getting stronger or about being you know great in bed or just like all these superficial things and that was the first piece I was like hold up wait
0: wait a second (laughs) there's
2: actually something to like digest here so that was refreshing to see for sure that's
0: great that's great (laughs) I
2: have a few more questions
0: yeah
2: one being what do you think helped you most through treatment? Like, you're talking one week on, one week off, basically. Right. How did you? I mean, obviously your wife, but how did you power through that?
0: My faith is is the biggest thing. I just I just had faith, and and don't get me wrong, you can have a, a direct line with God, but at the same time, you can still be scared. So, cause you never know. I just kept saying, you know, I'm going to beat this cancer and then ride my motorcycle. And I just kept, I just kept saying in my mind, you know, I'm going to beat it, and then ride. And I, just, and I, I do feel like how you go through something is how you come out of it. So, and I'll say that again, how you go through something is how you come out of it. So if you just constantly have a positive attitude, no matter what you're going through and, and you set in your mind that you're going to be determined, determined to make it through. I think that kind of helps your body to line up. It it allows your mind to to help you get through it because, you know, your mind can your mind can basically put you in the ground or put you in the clouds. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is you can be so worried about something that you pretty much, you know, did already. So I just I just really made it a point to just, you know, try to try to be positive and and try to um, stay on track as far as what I want to do. And You mentioned, you know, my wife, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have someone to go through it like I was to have her to go through it with me, you know, somebody that's more than amazing then you know, it makes it that much easier.
2: Yeah, definitely. Did you at all during this feel vulnerable about, you know, the state you were in?
0: I did feel vulnerable because in my household, I'm the primary. Mm
2: -hmm. So
0: when I couldn't work, which, you know, kudos to my middle son, which actually, you know, operated the business while I was down. And, but because I couldn't actually get out there and get it, because men pride themselves on being able to, you know, like I say, get out there and get it. And when you can't do that, if I stressed about anything, that was what I stressed about. Mm-hmm. Um, because I wasn't able to get out and make the money like I like I wanted to or like I usually do.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. So that was probably my biggest stretch, man.
2: Yeah. Kudos to your son. That's really remarkable that he was able to pick up the torch. How, how would you define masculinity?
0: How would I define masculinity?
2: hmm
0: Okay. I would describe masculinity as you got to know when you can handle something and when you can't handle something. And what I mean by that is it's one thing to be uh, man enough or masculine enough to say, well, you know, I know I can handle X, Y, Z, you know, whatever's going on. But it takes a, a really masculine person to basically understand that, okay, this is something that I can't do. You know, this this is beyond me or this is this is more than what I can handle right now. And I'm man enough to to be able to to pull back or step or step back and say that I that I can't handle this. Because I, I think that too many times people trying to be masculine mess stuff up because they're trying to be so masculine if that makes sense.
2: Right. Yeah. They're like getting in their own way.
0: Yeah. It's like, if you understand what it is, then you can understand, okay, let me stop and let somebody else help me figure this out or whatever the situation is.
2: Right. Yeah. That's real. I think that's a good, a good definition. I'm so happy that we got to be connected and to hear your story um, verbally is Truly powerful, and the other question I ask people when I end my shows is what brings you peace? And it can be anything,
0: yeah, what what, without mean? a doubt. There are two things people that know me know that I love my motorcycle and I love my wife. I probably should have said that in a different order. <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, I think you said that in the order that it came to mind. <laughs> that is what it has to be, and I'm not. I can't edit that for you, bro. Oh my so. goodness! Oh my goodness!
0: I love so. So the, those are those are the, the the two things that that keep me in peace. I love to ride. I love to ride my motorcycle, and I love to be around my wife. Me and my wife are. I don't like to say we're. Best friend, because I always tell. I say we're not best friends, you know. I tell, her, I tell her we're friends. You know, it's just kind of a joke we have. So we're like, we're not best friends, but we're friends that that love each other dearly. And she's always bubbly. She's always, she's always up uh, good cheer, and she really, she really keeps me going. I don't smile a whole lot, you know. When I laugh, I smile, but I don't smile a whole lot. And I just think, you know, I just think I have a dumb smile when, you know, like for pictures or whatever, but she makes me smile. She is my everything. So, so those are the two things, my wife and my motorcycle, because when I ride, whatever you're going through or whatever the situation is, you get on your motorcycle and ride and you just don't think about it, you know, and now everything comes back when you get off. It's it's not like, uh, I guess it's like any other high, you know, while you're doing it, it feels great. But, but when you, when I turn the motorcycle off, you know, it's back to life. But if I was to explain what riding a motorcycle is, that's what it is to me.
1: Beyond Ourselves is an original series produced and hosted by me, Taylor Camille. A variety of the series artwork shared here and on our Instagram, at Beyond Ourselves, are created by Carmen Johns and Sierra Hood. My hope is that these listenings have left you with a warm heart and an even cooler mind. I hope you are left feeling able to seek peace in the spaces and places you may find yourself in. If you're interested in being on the pod or have any compelling leads, please shoot us an email at info at and subscribe and share if you haven't already.